Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Abby. Hi, I'm, a- oh, I'm Abby, a compulsive overeater recovering bulimic. Hi, Hi. thank you so much for asking me to uh, lead the meeting. It came at exactly the perfect time, Um, and this is God and how God works in my life today. Um, Just to qualify, I've been in the rooms ten and a half years, and I have ten years of abstinence, but this disease doesn't go away, and I learned that uh, very recently. I was gone for a month for work, and I was in Serbia when Jill... uh, texted me and asked me if I could lead the meeting and I was like <gasps> first my response was like how could I, I can't lead a meeting I'm so busy and like there's no way that when I'm a week back from a month away that I'm be able to lead a meeting and then the program has taught me you always say yes if possible so I said yes because that's what I do and then you know the miracle of this program is knowing that I was going to have to lead this meeting kept me accountable to my program for the month that I was away when I really just wanted to check out and go off the rails so that's God that's how God works in my life today and I, that's how I recognize God and I'm really nervous because I owe such a grit of gratitude to this meeting specifically because while I was away, I couldn't go to meetings, and uh, what I did do was uh, listen to the podcast, and I listened to a lot of the speakers who spoke here at Light a Candle, and when my brain was telling me the craziest shit, oh, excuse me, I knew I was going to do it, um, well, I got, <laughs> I got one out, so maybe I won't do it, that, you know, I'm a compulsive reader, so the second you tell me I can't do something, then I really want to do it, so when you told me I couldn't swear, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but, yeah, so while I was away, and this is why I still come to these rooms after 10 years and, you know, try and arrest the disease one day at a time, is because this disease has taught me to do things every single day. Um, I pray. I get on my knees every morning. I pray. I say the serenity prayer, and I say the third step prayer and the first three steps. And then there's other things I do, like go to meetings. I try to get to three meetings a week. I um, do a certain kind of exercise that is healthy and loving for me today, which prior to getting to program what exercise looked like was definitely not loving. Um, and these, and I meditate. I try and meditate every day. And these are things that I do that keep the crazy in my brain from getting really, really loud. Because what I learned is I don't just have an eating problem. It's not external. I mean, ten years ago, the binging, the purging, the over-exercise, the obsession with my body was there a lot of the stuff was external, but the thing that got me into these rooms was what was happening between my ears. Um, it was a really, this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and what it tells me, what my brain tells me, the lies that my brain tells me, makes me want to check out of life. And uh, when I was away and I wasn't able to do all the things that keep that crazy in my brain quiet, it came back really ferociously. You know, for a week while I was in Serbia, I wasn't really as careful about doing the things that make me sane that you guys have taught me and by the time I got to the second country and I was working crazily I would wake up in the morning and my brain would tell me you're feeling soft you're feeling fat you're disgusting you can't go to these events you can't go you know socialize like go put on a brave face but like really this is what you look like and you know that's the disease and that's what it sounded like before I came into these rooms all the time 24 hours a day 
and I couldn't take it anymore. And just to go back, you know, what what happened now in recovery is I knew that I had to lead a meeting. And when I came back, I didn't keep going on with the behavior that wasn't working that was causing that really loud crazy in my brain. I started listening to the podcast. I, like, laid in the bed, like, one morning. I was like, I hate everybody. I hate life. I don't want to be here. What's one thing I can do? And I listened to a podcast. And it really, like, just 20 minutes of listening to the podcast, like, brought the, like, screaming disease in my brain, like, down a notch. And I was able to function again. Um, I started being much more militant about the meditation. And, you know, I I call it natural Xanax. I mean, it really works that fast for me. Um, And I was able to, you know, just feel a little bit better by that. I emailed my sponsor and just, like, got all the crazy into an email to her. And, like, that took it down a notch. And, you know, after a couple days of doing that, you know, my spiritual piggy bank was a little bit fuller again. And I was able to function again and just tell that, and just understand that that voice in my head is not reality. Um, and I was also doing a lot of outreach. I was, you know, thank God for technology. There's a lot of things that are cheap when you're abroad that you can, like, connect with other people. And all my amazing fellows who knew I was away were checking in on me. And I knew those people don't think the things that my disease was telling me. And so that was helping me just feel a little bit better. Um, but, you know, that voice is what it sounded like 24 hours a day, seven days a week before I got into these rooms. And I got into these rooms really young. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I was 24 when I came into these rooms, and, you know, what it looked like prior to coming here, it was, you know, all the way in my brain, my, my magnifying mind that I was born with, and I believe I was born with just a compulsive brain. What it looked like, and this is just my story, so if you don't hear anything, because there's a lot of newcomers, welcome to everybody who's here, so I'll, that's why I'm reversing back to what it was like. Um, I was born compulsive, and at age 7, I started an, another compulsive illness that was physical, uh, I have a hair pulling disease, and I used to pull out my eyelashes and eyebrows, and I got a lot of negative feedback about what I looked like. And so very early on, I learned if I don't look like a certain way on the outside, love is completely conditional. I will not be loved. Um, and so those messages carried over when, you know, in middle school-ish, closer to high school, it morphed into the eating disorder. Um, and I would come home every day, and this was my coping me- mechanism. The, you know, the OCD was a coping mechanism. I had a really unstable household in where my mom would come home from work, and I never knew what version of her was coming home. So then I would try and soothe myself and her anxiety by, one, being a chameleon and adjusting to whatever mood she was going to be in. And so, you know, God, you know, if I was okay, if I acted perfectly, if I externally looked perfectly, then maybe she wouldn't go crazy. Um, and I've learned through the program and other outside help that, you know, that was the best that I could do. I was seven years old, right? So I don't blame myself for having these compulsive um, tendencies. So, you know, that, you know, middle school, come home from school, you know, start with a loaf of bread and the block of cheese. You know, not one grilled cheese, a whole loaf of, grilled, you know, making grilled cheese. Um, you know, I had to make amends to my sister <laughs> because I would take out the pack of cookies and try and have her have some just so it wouldn't look like I had eaten the whole thing by the time my parents came home. So I tried to shove a tiny bit onto her. Um, she thought that was funny when I had to make amends to her for that. Um, and then in high school, you know, more of that, but that dissonance of like, and this is where the disease is really, you know, between my ears of I feel one way on the inside, but I'm projecting a certain thing on the outside. So you guys think I am presenting a certain way, but really on the inside I feel so horrible. It was that 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 sort of dissonance. I don't know. It just made it really hard to connect to people on a real authentic level. And I've always been extremely extroverted, so that was even more painful. It's like 
I'm out here in the world, I'm sort of pretending that everything's okay, you know, but I know because I don't look a certain way, you're not going to completely fully accept me if I really let you know what I'm like. And so those were a lot of the messages in my brain 24 hours a day. And um, I say all the time, I picked up a bunch of broken tools um, that uh, escalated as I got older in college. You know, we all hear it's the Garden of Eating Disorders. And um, just funny, like now I look at it and I... It's not funny because it was extremely painful at the time, but, you know, I remember living in my sorority house, and there were a lot of other people suffering from eating disorders, you know, so I could relate, but I was like, mine's not as bad as some of these girls, so I don't have a problem. But I was the one stealing other people's butter spray, stealing their Nutella. I, there was one time I remember I was home late at night in the kitchen at the sorority house, and I had, like, I was, like, elbow deep in the jar of Nutella, and I think it had it, like, dripping down my face, too. And someone came down the stairs, and I was busted. And I was like, I, I, this is mine. What are you talking about? And so just little amazing moments like that. There. Now I look back, and I'm like, oh, that poor girl. But, you know, at the time it was horribly humiliating, but now I'm just like, oh. And that's why that food is not part of my repertoire anymore. Um, so I can't eat that like a lady. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, that escalated, but when I graduated school and I moved to New York, I didn't have time to do all of the compulsive behavior, the compulsive exercise, um, the binging and purging, I didn't want to get caught, like, those moments of getting caught, like, usually, like, could scare me straight into, into, like, pretending to be normal for a little while until it, like, escalated again, and when I was working, you know, I was binging because I needed to take the edge off because I didn't know how to cope with the crazy high level of stress that I was dealing with as a 21-year-old in New York, and so I gained 30 pounds really fast. I couldn't work out like I used to. I couldn't binge and purge like I used to. And so the weight came on really fast. And again, that dissonance. I re- now, now reality was I really was heavier, you know, but I didn't want to be accountable to that. So then I was using a lot of drugs and alcohol to, like, quiet that part, like, totally deny that. And uh, that didn't work for coping for a long time because I moved to L.A. for work and I couldn't use, you know, the drugs and alcohol because my job was so big. And so then it was just misery all the time. So it was what I thought in a body that I didn't deserve to be at the job at. Like I needed to show up looking a certain way if I was going to be successful at my job and I was 30 pounds overweight. And so what was I supposed to do? And I you know, I had exhausted everything. The binging and purging wasn't really working anymore. The commercial diet programs weren't working anymore. And so I was at a complete loss of what to do. I mean, I thought I had a PhD pretty much in nutrition, you know. (laughs) I wasn't doing any of the things that I knew in my brain that would work. So, you know, it's, you know, what they say. I never wanted to come into a program that had overeaters in the name, but it was the last house on the block. And um, one of my binge buddies from college was the one who had found it first on the East Coast and suggested it to me, and I ignored it for a really long time. And then, again, I was completely exhausted of ideas, and so I'm like, fine, I'll try this thing. I'm not going to call it that. But um, uh, judgment and, and critical thinking is part of my character defects that I'm still working on. Um, thank you, step six and seven. Um, and so I came into this program in January 2005 after a really defeating bout with a commercial diet program um, and I would get on a scale every Saturday morning and she would look at me and she'd be like you gained eight ounces oh. and this was after like my day what my days looked like was not eating in the morning not eating at lunch except for you know something that was like who knows what I would find like out <laughs> you know weirdo salads that I'm sure I loaded up with stuff so I thought they were healthy 
going back and forth to the, uh, uh, there was one office that had, like, all the goodies, like, in, they had these little Dixie cups, so going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and hitting myself every time I came back to my desk and finished that little cup of whatever goodies was there, and, um, and then at night, you know, because I had spent all of the, you know, points that I had for the day, my brain, this is what my genius brain, disease brain thought of, was if I stir-fry vegetables and pour butter spray on it, that's no points. Um, so bags and bags of frozen vegetables, stir-fried frozen ve- vegetables and butter spray. That's not good for your insides, by the way. Um, so I was feeling miserable both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, all three of those things by the time I would get on the scale on Saturday for my weigh-in. And I knew something was wrong. I knew I needed a solution that was more than someone telling me what to eat and me listening to that. So that's, you know, I was just so miserable. And that, you know, going out in the world and feeling like I had to, um, and feeling like I had to put on a, a show and I'm not feeling, and feeling like a piece of shit on the inside. Like, that just, I couldn't deal with that anymore. And then also, you know, topped with, this was another God shop. I binged on a uh, birthday cake at the office and was in the bathroom purging and someone almost caught me. So all of that perfect storm, my perfect God storm, got me to come to this room with a name that I didn't like. Uh, and that was January in 2005. And uh, what this program has taught me is, you know, that voice in my head, it lies to me constantly. And if I'm not working the tools in this program, that voice comes right back. Um so what I learned, and this may be, um, this is just my path, I had to learn the spiritual and emotional part of this program before I got any physical recovery. And that was God keeping my butt in this seat, you know, to learn really how to cope with life instead of giving me what I wanted, which was the weight loss and the body, and then I would have gone right back out the door. So I learned all these new coping mechanisms that I'd never learned before, and you know, don't get me wrong, I've been in outside health, I've been in therapy since I was seven years old, so, like, it's not like I didn't, it's not like I hadn't been um, educated in, in other ways, it was, it's, it was the spiritual part of this program, like, I really needed to have the surrender to a power greater than myself to be able to be willing to do the tools and have faith that they would work. So what happened is, you know, I just got some space between me and the food, and it wasn't about weight loss at first, it was really just, like, normalizing my food. Um, and just to qualify, I've been, you know, about 25, 30 pounds heavier than this, and I've been 25 pounds less than this when, in my very short phase of anorexia. I was so successful at it, I gave myself mono, and then that was the end of the anorexia. Um, <coughs> so I um, just got some space, just got some boundaries, got some, like, you know, really learning what normal looks like, and that was three meals a day and a, sna- and a snack if I needed it. Um, and by doing that, it gave me space to start working the tools. And, you know, my sponsor and I joke all the time, I was really reluctant about using a lot of the tools because I just had a lot of judgment around writing, you know, because my mom did that, and she's a crazy person, so that's clearly not helping her, so why would I use the tool of writing? Um, but lo and behold, as a bulimic, to get those thoughts from my head onto a piece of paper or onto an email that just, it's like, a, you know, literally like throwing up the thoughts in my head somewhere else inside of the toilet. So much healthier. Um, so that was a huge gift and a huge help um, for my spiritual path. And so, you know, what the path has looked like then from um, 2005 to 2015 is, you know, totally imperfect. I chose an abstinence that was going to be really easy for me to keep. You know, that's 
all the diets were impossible for me to maintain. So let's do something that's sort of the opposite, and then maybe I can, you know, not beat myself up every morning because I failed the day before. So my abstinence is no binging, no purging, no compulsive exercise, and it has very specific definitions. Binging is more than two servings. Um, purging is obvious, and uh, compulsive exercise is no more than two hours in the gym at one time or two classes in a day. Because for me, my instinct, I could work out all day long because that, you know, it just helps quiet my brain, but there's a limit to what is, you know, manageable and unmanageable. And that's the other thing I learned. When I put down the food, you know, like the whack-a-mole game, other things started coming up, which is also why I had to keep working the tools pretty vigilantly. You know, I put down the food, and then a toxic relationship came up. God removed that, because what I've learned is pain is a great motivator. I won't change my behavior until it gets too painful not to. And, you know, am I, like... Being in program now 10 years is pr- I pr- pretty fast. Like when I feel that thing in my gut of like, oh, this doesn't feel so good. I shouldn't enga- be engaging with either this person or this job or this food or this activity. Like I get that feeling in my gut, but I'm a person. So sometimes I ignore or drown that feeling and I keep going because I want what I want. But what has happened in various arenas in my life is that God then makes the lesson really painful, so then I have to stop doing that thing. And these days I try not to get to that point. But early on in program, I needed to learn those lessons for me to stop doing the things that I was doing. So the food became too painful, and that forced me to change my behavior there. Relationship, uh, relationship behavior became too painful. That got removed in a very extremely painful way, and I don't do that anymore. Um, then the alcohol came up a little bit because it's like as things started getting stripped away, I kept reaching for other things to try and take the edge off. So then I had to do a little tour of duty in the other rooms, and those are always still waiting for me, but ultimately I left because I was able to, I wasn't God, you know. That became not as attractive to me anymore. It's just physically it was making me feel bad. And I, what I crave now because of this program is to be clear, you know, be clear so I can hear God, so I can hear what that will is for me each day. Um, and because I've been clear, so the last, you know, couple years have been incredible. I've really changed in terms of, like, what Abby thinks is my path and being really willing to go with what God thinks is my path. In the past, that was not so much my speed. It was like, I know what I want to do, I know how I'm going to get there, and I'm going to do the work to get there. But what happened, you know, my career is the thing that actually has shown me, like, how to have faith in God because... In the beginning, when I was out here, I've been out here for my job, and it's the biggest part of my life, um, I was like, I know, I want this job, I'm going to get promoted here, and that's going to be the way to success. And what happened was, I worked my tail off, I was told I was getting promoted to this one company, and then I didn't. And I was pissed, and I'd spent three years of my life working like 18-hour days, and was so angry, and so angry at God. I'm like, well, now there's no God, obviously, because this isn't happening. Cut to, that was 2007, eight years later, the way that my career has gone has been so driven by God, and I've learned to, like, just, like, relax and let God take charge. I do the footwork. Let's not get anybody wrong. I do the footwork, but I listen for the signs, and I try and go where, again, it feels good in my gut, not where it feels bad. And eight years later, I'm back at the original company that I didn't get promoted. None of the people that were there in my department are there. There's been two regime changes. I'm back with a much higher title and much higher salary than if I had stayed originally. And that's God. Because I could never have predicted that my life would have been navigated that way. And it's because I've learned to surrender in all areas of my life and just go with the flow a little bit more. Sometimes it's not easy. So right now, 
you know, I'm really, you know, cut to today. What it looks like today is I'm a little bit resentful that um, <laughs> that I have to travel so much, and that's the, you know, that's the that's the job that I've taken, and you know, some of it is amazing, but sometimes it's really taxing. And because of this program, because I'm an addict, I like things, you know, I like to have my tools around me. I like my schedule to look a certain way. I like to get to the classes I like to get to. I like to go to the meetings I like to go to. I like to have the food around me that I like. And that's just not life, right, to have it, like, the way that I want all the time, 24-7. So when I travel, I start getting that, like, itchy anxiety of, like, ugh, you know, I don't have my stuff. I don't have my stuff. And so, you know, God took care of me, like I said. So, you know, the first week that I was away, I was still getting on my knees. I was still trying to meditate, but, like, there were no meetings. And I commend anybody who comes from another country and goes to a meeting. That is amazing. I haven't worked that out yet. Um, but I have every intention. I've looked at meetings in other countries. <laughs> I just haven't gone to them yet. So I uh, didn't go to any meetings in Serbia. Also, I have a feeling there were probably not that many meetings. But I probably could have found an AA meeting. Anyway. Neither here nor there. But this is what happens, right? The disease got so loud and my anxiety, the itchiness, like, started getting so uncomfortable that I just started using the tools a little bit more and a little bit more each day. But, you know, I'm resentful that this is the way my life looks right now, that I have to travel so much. I like being here. Um, so what I'm trying to do is get into gratitude, right? Because when God wants my life to not look like this, it'll change. And I'm just trying to get really quiet and just, you know, God, where do you want to have me be today? And today, God wanted me to be at this meeting. Oh, so much time to hear myself talk. <laughs> Normally, I just really like hearing myself talk. Like, in outside meetings, talk all the time. You can't get me to shut up. But with these meetings, I get so nervous. Um, because what this program has given me is a huge, amazing, beautiful life. So... You know, here I'll just share a funny thing about when I was away and the disease was getting really loud and telling me I was, you know, I look terrible, I've gained 20 pounds, surely I've gained 20 pounds, I don't have all of, like, I don't have my schedule the way I want, I'm eating more, I'm drinking more, you know, and so every morning my brain was waking up, up telling me, like, all of these horrible things about the way that I looked. What I've learned to do is contrary action. So I had to go get for crazy reasons for work my boss and I had to go to get new outfits for this presentation so we go to you know a, a local store and lo and behold not only have I not gained 20 pounds I'm a size smaller than when I left so I have no idea this brain lies to me constantly still 10 years later so I was like okay maybe you know I was able to like sort of step away from that monster in my brain and be like, okay, maybe that monster in my brain is the disease telling me lies. So I'm going to just trust that for now, even though, like, it's, like, in and out. It's, like, a const it's like I'm, like, exercising every day of having to, like, redirect my thinking. But, you know, that's little, that's little stuff that I've learned to do. It's, like, contrary action, just go anyway. So that, for, like, 20 minutes made me feel okay. Then the disease came back 20 minutes later, but I had to use another tool, but, like, that's God working in my life today as well. Um, and uh, just to talk about God, because... I don't know, 10 years ago, to hear that God come out of my mouth so many times would have been, like, not, not even a possibility. But um, I, couldn't, I couldn't do this life without a higher power. And prior to coming to program, I was raised a Jew. I didn't really have any sort of sense of spirituality. I was a lot about tradition in my family. And um, 
when I started working the program, I, I, I wasn't really interested in the God part, but my sponsor said, there's this wonderful slogan called, act as if. So just act as if you believe in a God, and then maybe see if that evolves. And I'm like, okay, fine. I've been acting a lot, like acting like shit's okay. Oh, there we go again. Acting like things are okay on the outside, but really on the inside, not so cool. So I can act, no problem. So I'll act as if I believe in a higher power. Um, and then seeing, it's been having these little daisy chains of instances where I've been completely taken care of, and looking back in hindsight, like with my career, the way that the path is wound without my doing it, you know, that's helped me believe in a higher power to, you know, after, I think it was like three or four years in program, finally, you know, the person who needed to help me with my physical recovery showed up, and I was able to listen to her finally, right? The PhD in nutrition I thought I had in my brain, like, <laughs> I knew from program that maybe I don't know everything and was willing to listen to someone who is an expert in that field and actually has a degree there. Um, so I was willing to listen to her, and that helped, you know, the combination of using the tools and having a spiritual and emotional sense of recovery, you know, helped with the physical. And I loved program by then, so wanted to stay and didn't want to leave. Um, and so that helped me believe, like, those things, that person showing up when I, right when I needed her was amazing. Um, what else? Little things like, um, like, I use God every day to listen when I am stuck. And I heard in a meeting once, you know, if, if there's an answer that you're looking for, like, you don't know which way to turn in any arena of your life, you know, just get quiet and ask God for the answer. And if you don't hear it, keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And eventually the answer comes. Um, and so I do that all the time in every single area of my life. Um, I have this side project outside of my uh, work, my my, I, I, don't, I hate being so, like, oblique about what I do. I work in film. I am in production. And I have a side TV project that came up, like, totally by me listening to God and, and signs and all of that stuff. And in that process, there was a point where I thought it was going to be completely done and dead and killed and off the rails because one person had pulled out and didn't want to participate anymore. And I didn't know what to do, and I'd exhausted all of my good ideas. And I was like, okay, well, this might be dead, okay. Let me get quiet. And I got quiet, and I meditated. And I swear to this is someone who refused to meditate for seven years in program, by the way, when my sponsor would suggest. So this is a new thing. This is brand new. But I'm getting so many answers in meditation, and I got quiet, and the answer came to me. Like, after, like, I, I meditate ten minutes a day, and that's it. And the answer came, and I tried it, and that person joined the project again, and we were back on track. I don't know how that works. That's a higher power. That's not me. I didn't have the answer. So I do that for everything in my life now, whenever I have a question of, of what direction to go in. So, and, like, that's why, you know, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how other people live this life without a program. I really don't because I use it in not just my food and my body and when my brain gets crazy telling me, you know, all sorts of horrible things about my body image. I use it for, like, every area of my life. And... Yeah, I'm just so grateful, and I'm so grateful to you guys for being here and for the recording because it really saved my butt when I was away, and I was, <laughs> I was like, storming through the streets in, in France, and, like, the tourists, thank you, the tourists and the looky-loos and, like, all of the other Euros who are being really mean and, like, wanting to push me out of the way or trying to push me out of the way, and I was, like, in my little serenity bubble with my earphones on, listening to a podcast, and just so grateful that I had that moment of peace um, and, like, serenity amidst, like, all the other chaos and because uh, other people you know how other people live their lives you know they need to go pushing people on the streets 
and can, that's fine. I don't need to do that. And I have tools that help me not to do that. So I'm grateful to you guys for being here and all uh, open for questions. Thanks. The question was, how do I deal with fear on a day-to-day basis, especially in on, in work situations? Oh, my God, I've gotten into so many crazy places where I'm like, I don't even know how I'm here. I'm so scared and terrified. Um, in the moment, when I'm in a situation that fear comes up in that moment, I'll do a little fear inventory in my brain. I'll just, like, sit and pretend like I'm listening to whatever's going on and do, the, like, the fear inventory from the big book, which is... or maybe I'm paraphrasing or someone told me how to do it this way you know what's the fear is it real or is it imagined because a lot of times it's not even real whatever the fear is it's something that I've created some scenario or fantasy that I've created so I first have to discern is this a real fear or is this a imagined fear and then um, uh, I also look for character defects in that and then what would God say to me Uh, and always you know what God says is so much nicer than what my brain is telling me to do and I wouldn't be in those situations if God didn't want me to be there. So there's clearly something for me to learn there. Uh, the question is, how did I decide my abstinence and has it changed? I'm trying to think back. Um, my sponsor and I came up with it together. In the very, very beginning, before we even started working the steps, we did um, a food history. So I wrote like anything that I could remember of me doing crazy things with food from very early on till when I came into program. And we did a red light, yellow light, green light list of foods. Uh, red being the ones that I cannot eat like a lady, like Nutella. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> green, obviously anything I can eat that doesn't trigger me. And yellow, eh, there are iffy foods. And then we also wrote down uh, triggering behaviors, like red light behaviors, like standing up while eating, eating in the car, um, skipping meals. And so from that we were able to come up with something that was uh, first an abstinence and then a food plan. So the abstinence was something that was very, very black and white. And because I was binging and purging, it was, you know, no purging and no binging. And actually, the definition of what a binge was, that came later. I learned that later because, you know, I, I was just, like, not going into that, like, fugue state of just starting and not stopping for hours. Um, so that was how we defined a binge in the beginning. And then the exercise has been... <laughs> That was my my own conception later on, but compulsive exercises, I have, I have a very strong history of that, so I wanted to make sure that, that was, I was being accountable to that. Um, and then my food plan, that was the three meals a day, I think one or two snacks if needed. It was just really like a really comfy coat, something that I could, it could manage but set boundaries around my food. And be, from the food behaviors that I had been doing, we decided to do one plate, like, if I'm at a, an all-you-can-eat situation, one plate is a good idea. You can pile the plate up as high as you want, but just one plate. Because um, that prevented that, like, grazing into a binge situation. Um, so we put a lot of, like, red light behaviors on my food plan list. So that's how. And things have evolved. I've brought that things in and out um, as, the, as the path has narrowed and as needed as my life's looked different. So, and I'm open to change. Thank you. Uh, how has my relationship with my family changed since I've been in program? It's funny. Um, the expression, don't go to the hardware store for milk, is one that comes to mind when I think about my family. I'm really close with my sister. And um, because I've been able to be much more honest in my life and with other people in my life, she and I, 
it's, it's, people don't want a perfect person. They want other people who have, like, flaws and weaknesses and are relatable. And so by me sharing all the stuff that was going on and not trying to put up this, like, facade that was clearly not working, I've gotten, my relationships are so, 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 so much better. So my sister and I share all the time, and I share, like, really crazy deep stuff with her. And so we're, and we are the only two people that were witness to our childhood. So, you know, she and I are really close. And so what I do is, this is in regards to my family, specifically my mother, is I put really strong boundaries around how we interact with her. Um, and I try not to see her much. And um, I made amends to her, but my mom is my mom. She's never going to change. She's 65 years old, and she is who she is. And, again, I, if I'm going to go to her expecting her to be, like, a mom, like, loving and listening to anything I say and, <laughs> um, you know, nurturing... I'm going to be the one who gets hurt. I'm going to be disappointed. So I have to do a lot of work before I go see her that reminds me of that's not the per- who she is. I have other people in my life I get that kind of unconditional love and nurturing from. And I put on this, I do all this work to, like, have a serenity bubble. So when I have to see her, that that's, you know, I'm able to keep my side of the street clean. But that doesn't always work, and it's, you know, thank you for asking. Actually, in January, I didn't have time. I was working 24-7. I had told my mom that the weekend she wanted to come visit um, was a not good weekend. And, again, because my mom is who she is, it didn't really matter, and she came out anyway and demanded that we meet her in Palm Springs. And it was a really painful visit for me because I had been working really hard, and I told her, and my sister was sick, and we both came down, and we were staying with her best friend, who is like my aunt. And my mom, you know, no recognition of, like, the shape my sister and I are in. And then her best friend is like, oh, to my sister, oh, do you want, need a, you have a cold. Do you need a blanket? Oh, Abby, what's been going on? Like, you look like you're really tired. So this other woman, who's not my mother, is recognizing things about, you know, these, about us. And it was, and there was another other couple things that reminded me that, like, of what I have versus what other people have is really hard to see, like, what a normal mom was like in that situation, and I lost it. I lost it. And I was in the car, and my sister came out, and she, you know, talked me through it. And and I was also, like, really, after 10 years in program and all this therapy, like, I still had issues with my mom, and I was pissed at myself. Because that's a disease. I want to beat myself up and make myself feel bad. But, you know, I was, like, depleted. I was so depleted. And so, of course, this happened. And what it did, that... You know, I know when those things happen to go ask for help, right? That's a sign I needed, like, another step. And I ended up going to see some uh, wackadoo outside help, which uh, was awesome but crazy and um, really helped me. And I'd known, again, it was like I had known about this person for years but just didn't, hadn't been in his, enough pain to go see him. And so this was enough pain for me to go see this guy, and that's exactly what I needed, and, you know, maybe that was the motivation of why that happened. But what I don't do is I don't change my behavior. I don't, if I'm, I try not to, I try to keep my side of the street clean, especially with my family, because Lord knows I don't want to make any amends to my mother. So, you know, (laughs) uh, what I do is, like, I feel the feelings, and then I go take it to other people who are safer for me to deal with. I don't take it to her. That's just not something that is right for me today. Um, and right now she's trying to get me to come home in August, and I just am avoiding. So uh, that's a good question. I think I need to, thanks God, I think I need to come up with an answer that works for me. Um, but, yeah, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process. But I have to say the rest of the relationships in my life are wonderful um, because I've learned to be 
uh, like uh, <coughs> honest. The question was, can I talk about my process being sponsored and sponsoring? I couldn't be more grateful that I've been working with the same sponsor the entire time I'm in the program, and that I know is incredibly rare. Um, and I, uh, people said, you know, find someone who has what you want. And uh, my sponsor was then brunette in my field, married, and I was like, you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you. I'll, I'll wrap up. Um, so that's how I picked her in the beginning, and we've just had an incredible. I've been willing to do whatever she said, and she's been so gentle, though, as well with me in terms of uh, her guidance. You know, if she sounded anything like my mom, I probably like adios, peace out. But she was the opposite. So uh, what a gift to have that sort of maternal. And she's not that much older than me, but like I don't know, it just worked. And sponsoring, I've sponsored a lot of people over the years. I've learned that one at a time is what works for me with my work schedule. And so I'm just gentle about, you know, that's all I can do. But it's a huge gift, and I try and stay, um, and I try and stay connected to my sponsor and sponsee no matter where I am in the world. Thanks.